Welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. As you know, if you've been a listener or a viewer for a while now, you know that our outlook on markets adjust as prices change and as economic data comes out. It's the only way to stay objective as analysts, and that's what we do here at TBL. And if nothing else, the last week in markets has been relatively crazy with some more robust economic data really pointing to the Fed's ability to hold interest rates higher for longer. And markets have had a bit of a field day readjusting to that reality. So today, we're going to give you an update on money markets, rates, stocks, and of course, Bitcoin. Buckle up, looks like inflation is reaccelerating. First things first, what data came in last week that was hotter than expected? Well, it was a little release called PCE, specifically core PCE. PCE stands for personal consumption expenditure, and it's really the most direct view that we have uh, from a data release into personal spending, into consumer spending. It's our most direct view into how much consumers are spending for the purchase of goods and services. Now, this is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation over CPI inflation, which measures a change in the price of a basket of goods. PCE measures the change in consumer spending. And of course, the Fed as an institution, what sort of monetary policy tools does it have? It uses interest rates as its primary monetary policy tool in order to try to control demand, to incentivize demand uh, in, in response to an economic downturn, and to break down demand as, as so-called destroy demand during extremely red-hot periods of high inflation as they are doing currently. And so the Fed watches this number, PCE, very, very closely, particularly core PCE, which is what we'll talk about today. Now, core PCE just removes the volatile food and energy components to make it one uh, continuous time series that is a little bit less volatile. And so here you can see on the chart of Friday morning's PCE release that core PCE rose by 4.7% year over year. And the expectation was 4.3%. So the expectation was for continued disinflation, for continued falling inflation. But we had a slight uptick. Looks like inflation is a little bit more robust in the consumer spending category. Now, obviously, it's still a minor hiccup for now. But we'll be keeping an eye on this. And it seems like markets will, too, because that is what the Fed is going to be keeping an eye on. Uh, inflation is stickier than expected, particularly consumer spending. Obviously, after 2020 and 2021, with the tremendous amounts of excess stimulus, the Fed has really kicked it into high gear over the course of the last year when it comes to raising interest rates. It really, really wants to make sure that it can rein in that consumer spending so that the risks of further upside on CPI inflation are minimized. And with the core PCE print coming in a little bit higher than expected, markets are sort of clutching their pearls, realizing that the Fed might just look at this data and understand that it has a bit of a ways to go before it's reached what it considers a sufficiently restrictive monetary policy. And as of right now, what is that sufficiently restrictive monetary policy? What rate will the Fed get to in order to rein in this very hot consumer spending? So markets have adjusted this past week to reflect this stubborn inflation. And as you can see here on the chart, forward expectations for the Fed's terminal rate, again, the highest rate that they're going to achieve this cycle, have adjusted upward pretty substantially. Take a look at the green line. That is expectations for the Fed's po policy rate in December. And the orange line is expectations for the Fed's policy rate in October. Both are very flat. And from October to December, the expectation was that the Fed would 
hike, uh, uh, arrive at terminal sooner, and also begin cutting rates sooner. And that can that behavior continued um, uh, all the way up until a few days ago when we pulled this data. And as you can see here, the expectations for the Fed's policy rate are now much steeper. Off the back of this really, really hot consumer spending data, the expectation is now that the Fed has all this leeway to continue hiking and continue trying to destroy that demand. And so now you see on this chart again, the terminal rate is priced all the way up near five and a half percent, when just a few weeks ago, it was priced at right around just below 5%. 5% was a stretch a few weeks ago. And now it's the expectation that the Fed will be able to hike all the way to 5.5%. And it will have to do that in order to rein in this sticky inflation caused by excess and strong consumer spending. Hikes are now fully priced into March, May, and June. Whereas previously, it was expected that the Fed would stop hiking cold turkey right around April or May, and it would begin cutting towards the end of the year. Not only have hikes now been priced into uh, to March, uh, April, May, June, July, uh, but it's now expected that they will not reach terminal until August or September, and cuts themselves have been completely priced out of this year. So we went from they're going to achieve terminal very quickly and then cut rapidly to they're going to achieve terminal way down the line. They're going to hike by 25 basis points several times in a row, and they're not even going to cut this year, right? So much more... Um, much higher pricing for the policy rate. And as such, markets have to adjust accordingly, right? There's been this very, very bullish risk sentiment. And granted, it, it's not necessarily misplaced, but to some degree, it, it could very well have been overextended. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But the reality is the Fed has the runway to hold higher for longer. Markets are and have to readjust to that reality. It would be a fool's errand to ignore this. Our base case here at TBL is the Fed gets in at least 50 basis points more hikes with 25 basis point increments in March and May, as shown in the futures market pricing that we just spoke about. Of course, as I mentioned at the outset, price is truth, and we've adjusted our outlook for the remainder of this hiking cycle accordingly. So next thing we're going to talk about is the sell-off in rates. Obviously, one of our pieces of our framework here at the Bitcoin layer is that rates lead the Fed. The U.S. Treasury market generally sells off and gets bid up in anticipation of moves uh, by the Federal Reserve. It isn't the other way around, right? Uh, treasuries usually are not in response to the Fed. They move because they are one of the most deep and liquid asset classes in the world. They can look ahead to what is going to occur and adjust accordingly before the Fed gets there. And as you can see here on this chart, twos have sold off quite swiftly. Uh, well above 4.5%, and they're gunning for 5%. We noted in our newsletter a few times that 4.52% was a very key level, and we noted that if that level was broken, then the two-year yield would likely head to 5%. And now that it is broken, this seems where we're going to be headed on twos. Now we'll, we'll, we'll remind our viewers that twos represent forward Fed funds expectations, so pretty self-explanatory. Uh, as the two-year yield moves, that's essentially forward market pricing for what the Fed is going to achieve with its federal funds rate, one of its key policy rates. And so with Fed funds futures, as we just mentioned, pricing in a terminal rate of 5.5%, and the two-year yield right now at 4.8%, twos have a lot of headroom uh, to rise um, uh, uh, until they reach where the policy rate is expected to be. So the sell-off in twos could very well continue. 
Now, also as a result of this, one of the things that we've spoken about several times is that is the two-year treasury yield and the federal funds rate. And we've said that when the two-year yield crosses below the federal funds rate, that's usually a sign that the Fed's hiking cycle is over, right? Rates lead the Fed. The two-year treasury yield is representative of forward market expectations for the Fed's policy rate. Given that the Fed doesn't surprise markets, it usually goes along with what twos are saying and with what the market expects. Uh, and a few months ago, in October, the two-year yield actually fell below the Fed funds rate. And so the expectation throughout markets was that the Fed is done. It's going to pause relatively soon. And that was until we had this recent round of strong economic data. It wasn't just core PCE on Friday. It was several rounds of ISM services prints that came in higher than expected, uh, S&P CoreLogic services prints that came in higher than expected as the services industry, purchasing managers within that, the services industry surveyed well. And uh, also a slew of other prints uh, having to do with the labor market that returned pretty strong numbers, consumer sentiment surveys. So all told, the economy is relatively robust. And as a result of that, twos have had to readjust accordingly. They were expecting a Fed pause, but now that economic data is coming in so robust, maybe that Fed pause doesn't have to occur. The Fed has more room to hike. That is the name of the game here. And so as such, you could see on this chart of the twos Fed funds curve, that twos have now vehemently charged back above the federal funds rate, uh, which is a first for this cycle, which essentially says the rates market no longer believes the Fed will have to pause very soon. The rates market is giving the Fed leeway to continue hiking. Now let's shift gears into stocks. Let's take a look at the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is, is at a very critical juncture right now. You can see here on this chart, it rejected the 4174 level pretty materially, and it's heading back down. This is a clear sign of weakness. As you can see here, it tested that level several times and it has been a pretty clear line of resistance for the S&P 500. So the S&P 500's inability to break above this line and now it, this trend line here that it's also broken below uh, indicates relative weakness within equities. So this dynamic of equity weakness after you know several weeks since uh, uh, September or uh, October of last year, rather, where we've been in this this rally, uh, a lot have believed uh, it to be a reversal. Uh, you know, this relative weakness in equities, coupled with this renewed risk-off sentiment via these higher rate expectations, means that the the onus is really on equity investors to challenge the Fed by showing some resilience here. Uh, we've officially as it pertains to the S&P 500, entered the danger zone. We're in a period of weakness. There don't seem to be many key levels of support underneath it, and we're entering a period that could very well be more risk-off as the market digests the higher-for-longer reality. And, of course, uh, here on the screen is the daily chart of the S&P 500 for a more close-up look on the battle between continuation of the uh, rally, of the trend that we've been experiencing, and reversal uh, of the recent equity strength. And this battle seems to be determined shortly. Here at TBL, we've been modestly bullish on risk assets over the last several months as disinflation has set in. But now that stock investors seemingly want to challenge uh, the Fed's intention to fight inflation by inducing the reverse wealth effect. Essentially, what the Fed is doing is it's sort of ignoring the fact that asset prices are falling because basically the wealth effect is such that if I have a lot of money, if my liquid net worth or my net worth on paper shows a large number, I have a higher intention to spend. And we talked about earlier how the Fed's main thing that it watches is consumer spending. It's trying to regulate consumer spending so that inflation doesn't spiral out of control. And so 
One of the things that it can do in achieving that is induce the reverse of the wealth effect, which is if asset prices fall, people are less inclined to spend. It's simple. And so equity investors, through this recent weakness, they're sort of challenging the Fed's commitment to that strategy. They're challenging the Fed's commitment to allow asset prices to fall and in doing so, uh, induce the reverse wealth effect. The question that's being asked right now is, is there a Fed put? The Fed put, or also known as the Bernanke put, is the Fed stepping in to save asset markets if they fall by cutting rates and introducing quantitative easing programs? Now, is there still a Fed put? Nobody can say for sure, given how equities have really, they, they've yet to puke this cycle. They've yet to take a, a massive 30, 40, 50% spill in response to the Fed's tightening. But if this line breaks here, if this trend line breaks and continues breaking and none of these other levels uh, uh, step in as support, potentially opens up the door to a 20% spill in stocks or even more that may stoke that fear in equity investors once again. And so it's sort of this standoff between equity investors and the Fed. And thus far, with the economy still robust, with consumer spending still a little bit hot, it seems like the last thing the Fed is thinking about right now is saving the asset markets. In actuality, falling asset prices are helping them on their mission to bring down consumer spending. A couple more charts here before I let you go. Thanks so much for sticking with us is high yield spreads. Let's take a look at high yield spreads here up on the screen. They aren't showing any real signs of danger, right? This is market implied default risk. And as of right now, they've begun moving up higher off their lows, which were set right around that 400 point mark at the start of the year but they really haven't budged uh, in terms of the, the, the elevated levels that we saw in 2022 of 600 and almost 700 points. They're still very muted. And so given the fact that there hasn't been this huge move in credit, uh, it doesn't seem that there are any real signs of danger here, right? Credit tends to lead equities, and the fact that credit isn't exhibiting any real signs of danger uh, is a pretty telltale sign. Uh, but this, of course, should be noted that it's sort of in conjunction with the jitters that we just observed in the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is selling off. Meanwhile, credit really hasn't exploded upwards. This could indicate that uh, the relative resilience in credit may be uh, an overreaction in equities because equities have sold off more than credit uh, spreads have widened. But you know we're not going to go that far. What we will say is that credit hasn't blown out. We're, we're far away from a credit event. And that is, of course, a good thing. Uh, now let's take a look at Bitcoin's correlation with the S&P 500, which has been dropping. You could see here up on screen that the 40-day correlation between Bitcoin and the S&P 500 has fallen pretty substantially from its peaks last year, near 80% down to just 32%. Uh, this is good news for Bitcoin holders, right? As Bitcoin detaches from equities during this relative equity weakness, that's good. And that can indicate that people are viewing this zone that Bitcoin is currently in as a real value buying range. It, it shows that Bitcoin native buyers are back uh, and they're willing to purchase Bitcoin at these discounted prices. Now, we'll err on the side of cautious optimism. We've said that word several times over the last several weeks that we are cautiously optimistic on Bitcoin and equities. Uh, of course, this is all incumbent on the path for the Fed and the path for broader risk sentiment. Risk sentiment is still present in markets. But as the Fed holds higher for longer, we'll see if that risk sentiment can continue holding up. And thus far, it has been able to. Uh, of course, Bitcoin historically has had high sensitivity to changes in the risk appetite. And so any change in risk appetite can really undo Bitcoin's recent strength on a dime, uh, you know, if the risk appetite ends up coming back down. 
Uh, but if this correlation continues declining, as it is now, and Bitcoin native buyers are fully back, as they seem to be, uh, Bitcoin may be able to weather any sort of storm that stocks are faced with. So to wrap things up, we've got sticky inflation, right, via core, uh, via core PCE, which we witnessed last Friday. And as such, markets are really coming to terms, battening down the hatches and understanding that the Fed's going to be able to hold higher for longer. We've had robust services PMIs, which indicate that businesses uh, within services and also manufacturing as well, they're doing well for right now. And overall, we've had strong rounds of recent data in the labor market. And all of these things support the Fed's higher for longer campaign. But at the same time, risk appetite is still here. Credit spreads aren't widening very materially, and the S&P 500 is really nearing a critical juncture uh, as to whether it's going to continue its uptrend over, that it's had over the last five or six months, or it's going to reverse. It's, it's hitting up on several key levels right now, and equities may be headed for a bout of weakness if they can't hold them. But at the same time, Bitcoin is doing well. Bitcoin's correlation with equities is falling, and it has shown recently relative outperformance compared to the S&P 500. So what we'll leave you on is just that. Risk appetite is still here. Bitcoin is doing well, and moving away from its equity correlation is a very good thing. What we're witnessing now is the fact that it takes time for 5% interest rates to transmit to the real economy. And as the Fed holds higher for longer throughout this year, we're eventually going to see that. Whether that translates into lower asset prices remains to be seen because risk appetite is still very much present in markets. But the reality is we're not seeing any fire alarms in credit, in credit default swap spreads, or market implied default risk by any measure. So that's what we'll leave you with today. Thanks again for coming to the Bitcoin layer. Make sure to subscribe, hit like on this video, and we'll catch you guys next time. Take care.